Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. What a gift. What a gift to get to be together. Um, Central is such an amazing uh, group of people. Y'all are gracious hosts. You've been uh, supporters for us uh, for many years at this point, and we love, uh, we love getting to be with you. So thankful for the gift of being together this morning. You've been supporting us for over eight years, and um, come to realize that's, that's a long time. Um, but if, if you're new to this church, um, you have to know that this is a church that believes in mission. This church believes that mission is happening everywhere. And you support us to, to do what we do in Peru. But even um, as we do what we do there, this church is engaged in mission right here. They're a part of um, you're a part of something here, whether it's right here in the zip code, if it's across the river, um, across town, you're also involved in something across the world. Really helps us knowing that um, we're part of something bigger, that what we do is not in isolation in Peru, but that we're part of something bigger that you're uh, a part of too. Our work in Peru involves working with a couple small house churches. Um, we live in a neighborhood um, that's part of a city. And as we go and move and meet people, our uh, hope is that we might share faith, that we can, um, as we do our work, we might be brought into conversations with people who love God and are trying to love their neighbor and that we find creative ways as we come to know other people, creative ways on how we might love our neighbor together and how that connects to how we love God. And so that's one aspect of the work that we do. Then we have another piece of that, which is working with a small nonprofit. We're doing um, sustainable community development in our urban environment. And that looks like working with uh, kids and teachers in public schools, putting in a library, it works. Uh, it looks like um, working with small business owners as they try to uh, build up their business with a microloans program. Um, and then we also have a, a small part of, our, well, pretty big part of our work, but it's, it, and it's connected to, to the mission, but it came on later on when um, hosting uh, study abroad students from Harding, and they spend uh, three months with us in Peru. And a, a few of those students are, that were here this past year with us have, have come and are here, and that's just a joy, um, a, a big joy of, of, of our lives and what we think um, God is trying to, to do through us as we're there. We do what we do because we believe that the source of life for the universe is at work in this world, breaking things wide open, inviting, pulling in, joining, drawing close. And what God started in Jesus, God is continuing to do now, coming near to us. And sometimes it's, uh, it's a little bit funny. It ends up um, 
being a little silly as we think about what that looks like in the reality of our life in Peru is that we do life in Spanish. And so uh, there's great joys that, that come with that, but there's also um, some silly mistakes that we make. Spanish was a little bit easier for me because I grew up in Italy and I spoke Italian, so learning Spanish was a little bit easier, but um, I was not beyond making um, some mistakes. And one of those in particular was at a time where I was really trying to show um, how, how brave I was and impressed with my dedication to flip-flops. I love flip-flops. I love wearing flip-flops on all occasions. I even hiked to the top of Mount Machu Picchu wearing flip-flops. And as I told this group of people, trying to impress them with my dedication to flip-flops, I said, I climbed Mount Machu Picchu wearing my carrots on my feet. So that's sanaorias versus sayonaras, okay? Uh, similar words, totally different meaning. Um, for, for my wife, one of her uh, favorite little mistakes that, that she made was, um, if you, and if you speak some Spanish, you might know what's coming. She said she was washing her hands with jamón, which uh, means you're washing your hands with ham instead of jabón, okay, which is, um, which is ham in, uh, which, is, which is soap in Spanish. Um, we... We have students who come, some who speak a lot of Spanish, some who don't speak very much. And what's amazing is that one of our students who didn't speak much Spanish at all this past semester, um, in the, the middle of a city square in Cusco, Peru, um, lots of people moving about, uh, made a connection with someone just sharing uh, an ear pod. Made a connection over music when language wasn't enough, when language couldn't be overcome, but music helped that help that be overcome. So uh, Central, um, y'all sent a few families from Central to come um, visit us and bless us and be part of a, a retreat that we were doing for missionaries in Peru. This is a few years ago, feels like an eternity ago, pre-COVID, uh, pre pre-pandemic. And um, in that time in 2019, before we uh, started our, um, our retreat, we invited um, these uh, families from Central to just stay with us in our neighborhood. We were able to host a few of the families in, in our home, um, but we asked some of our neighbors to, to um, host a couple of the other families. And um, one of those families spoke quite a bit of English, so the Coopers went and, and stayed with them and were hosted by them. Um, and one of the families spoke absolutely no English. And so, of course, we invited Mark and Lisa to go stay with them, um, since your Spanish is so proficient, right? Um, so this was Joel and Fiorella, neighbors of ours, whose daughter is named um, Maria Fernanda. So you take um, Ma from Maria and Fer or Fer from uh, Fernanda, and that's her name, Mafer, right? And uh, Lisa, despite her best efforts, um, just couldn't get Mafer, and so just, just went with Muffin, all right? So um, they stayed with Joel, Joel, Fiorella, and Muffin. What's amazing about that is despite, um, despite the difficulty with that name, as the, just the few days that they stayed there, they were able to channel love to this family um, through attempts with language, through gestures, and through Google Translate, right? Uh, but what, a, what a gift to be able to overcome, to be able to overcome the challenge of language with love. What if all languages... Um, all of the world's diversity, what if that exists to draw us nearer to the heart of a diverse God? 
Will we see into our world with God? What if God is reaching towards us in that diversity? What if God is reaching to us through the world's diversity in ways where we least expect it? The late rabbi um, Jonathan Sachs asked a couple um, prescient questions that I think we should all uh, deal with in sort of our globalized world that we live in. Because part of the point of all this is that you don't have to cross the world to encounter diversity. You can and you will, and, and, and there's so much to be learned in that encounter. Um, you don't have to go very far. That's what he asks in his book, The Dignity of Difference. Can we hear the voice of God in a language, sensibility, and a culture not our own? Can we see the presence of God in the face of a stranger? Barbara Brown Taylor, who wrote an amazing book, sort of an alternate spiritual disciplines book called An Altar in the World, she says that the hardest spiritual work in the world is to love the neighbor as the self. It's somewhat easy to see God in creation. We're just amazed by what you, know, you go and see in different parts of the world that you might travel to. Uh, we live in a desert, so just seeing uh, so many trees in this part of the world is amazing to us. You don't have to go very far, and you can see God in nature. Really hard work to see God in another human being sometimes. Jonathan Sachs said that the Hebrew Bible in one verse commands, love your neighbor as yourself, but in more than 36 places says you will love the foreigner, you will love the stranger. For the people of God to love God, we have to do the hard work of learning how to love our neighbor. For the people of God to love God, it is essential to learn to love the other. The question becomes, can we see the image of God, one who is not our image? See the image of God, one who is not our image. The story of the book of Acts is of a God whose spirit reaches to God's people through the, their diverse neighbor, the people we would least expect. So I'm gonna, we're going to end up with the story of Acts 10, and we're not going to read all of it. So if, you, if that's the story of Cornelius and his family coming to faith. And so if you need to uh, skip ahead or, or, or flip to Acts 10 and, and get caught up with it, that's where we're going to land. Um, but, but I want to emphasize what it is God is doing, how it is that God's spirit is reaching to God's people through that diversity. And uh, sort of to give you an idea of where I'm, where I'm coming from, there's this little bit of a longer quote but from a great book by Willie James Jennings, um, a book on the, uh, that's all about the book of Acts. Um, he says this, the deepest reality of life in the spirit depicted in the book of Acts is that the disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or to whom they would want to go. Indeed, the spirit seems to always be pressing the disciples to go to those to whom they would in fact strongly prefer never to share space or a meal and definitely not life together. 
It is precisely this prodding to be boundary crossing and border transgression, transgressing that marks the presence of the Spirit of God. Story after story, people full of faith don't want to go there. But the Spirit is moving to bring those people together to join. Many speak about the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, as perhaps being better titled Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Because throughout the whole book, it's the, the Spirit of God who's driving the narrative. In fact, the Spirit of God is in action throughout uh, the book. So just to do a, a quick summary to where we might get to a rooftop, okay, in Acts chapter 10, I'm going to talk about a room and a road. Um, in Acts chapter 2, a, a small group of followers of Jesus are all together in a room right? And this promised moment, this moment much awaited for that Jesus had spoken about where the spirit would come with power, the promised moment, it fills the room, it shakes the room, a great wind, um, the room is shaking, and then, you know, tongues of fire go and are on these, on these people. They're being filled with the spirit of God. And what does that look like as they leave that room? As the Spirit of God comes with power, it's manifested in diversity of language. It comes and speaks to a gathered group of people, in this case, all mostly part of the family of God, the, the, the Jewish diaspora um, that had been spread apart, but they're there for this special moment, and they hear the Word of God, they hear good news uh, shared to them each in their own language. But when the Spirit comes, it's multilingual. multilingual. A few chapters later, in Acts chapter 8, we have Philip, and he's on a road. And that road will leave him as the Spirit drives him. That road will take him to um, a place that had been uh, much hated by the Jewish people, and that was um, Samaria. There's a lot of reasons for that. But the gospel comes to the Samaritans and even comes through a movement of, of the Spirit um, as he comes next to a chariot where an Ethiopian eunuch will be there in the chariot, chariot reading the scroll of Isaiah, and Philip asks him about it. Right? The Spirit is moving and facilitating these conversations. And as he's reading Isaiah 53, I can't help but think that Philip in that moment skipped over in the scroll just a little bit more to Isaiah 56, where, where um, Isaiah talks about um, the foreigner and even the eunuch having a place in the family of God and near to God and that this story of God's love coming into the world is for all of those who are not part of that initial chosen family. And even a eunuch who has no hope of, of great descendants or a great memory in what God is doing, there is a memorial and a name for that person. So of course, Philip would have gotten there to share about God's house being a house of prayer for all nations. So a room, a road, and then a rooftop. And so we get to the rooftops of, of, of Acts chapter 10, and that's where, you know, Peter's there. He prays. He's hungry. Um, he has a vision. We tend to make this story about Peter, okay? Acts 10, it's the, the heroic missionary who brings finally uh, the, the word of God, he's a witness, just like Jesus had said in, in Acts 1, uh, in Jerusalem first, then Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. 
And, and it's true that this story in Acts 10, if, if you look at it uh, literarily, um, the, the way that it, it's, it's set and then it repeats itself and then Peter goes on and then repeats it again. So it's repeated three times in just this chapter and a half. It is a hinge story. I do believe this is the story of um, Jesus being witness to, to the ends of the earth in the Gentile people and those who are not part of the family. Um, but it's not a story with a missionary hero. Peter is not the missionary hero. It's a story of the spirit taking Peter where he least wants to go, showing Peter just how big and diverse God's family will be. We don't have time to read the whole uh, story from Acts 10. And in fact, I want to start with um, the last few words from the chapter. And because the King James sometimes sounds a bit more epic, um, we're, we're going to start first with, um, with, with, with these words, okay? Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So even as epic as we can make that sound, it's actually super normal. Um, so in the NIV, it just says, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Um, if we really look at this story, that is the most improbable conclusion. It's mind-blowing. It's ground-shifting that they would ask Peter to stay with them for a few days. The most improbable ending, God who is reaching out and can wait no longer for the sake of love to reach a bigger, more diverse group. And so it starts with prayer. On the one hand, um, the prayer and generosity of Cornelius, okay, so he's a person who um, God will hear, all right, and God will attend to, listen to, and then the prayer and hunger of Peter on the rooftop. God comes close to us in our prayers. So while Peter's waiting for food to be cooked, he has this vision and it's a, a sheet full of, of unclean animals and he comes down and he's told, he's told to uh, kill and eat. And um, he says, no, of course I wouldn't do that. That's not what I'm about. I never have been my whole life. Yet you have the, the vision repeat itself. And while it takes Peter a while to realize what the Spirit of God is up to, Peter's at least open enough to go along with the people that Cornelius sent, Cornelius's emissaries. So Peter goes to Cornelius, and he's gathered family and close friends. It's amazing that the place for a revolution to begin is in the company of family and a close-knit group of friends. And the encounter is somewhat awkward because here we are on the edge of our seats. Finally, the you know, news of salvation will reach the ends of the earth. And Cornelius goes and bows down to Peter. And Peter says, no, please don't bow down to me. We, we don't do that. Okay. And then Peter gets his turn to give his introduction. And this cringeworthy sort of noncommittal, I shouldn't even be here right now. Actually, the law forbids me to be in your house. So can you tell me why you sent for me? All right. And, and despite all of that uh, encounter, Cornelius sees the presence of God. 
Cornelius explains about his own vision, why he sent for Peter, that they're waiting for a message. And in verse 33 of chapter 10 says, we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything God has commanded you to tell us. Imagine that, someone just barely starting to understand what God is doing in the world, yet able to see, equipped to see, we are here in the presence of God, and we're waiting, waiting for the message. So it begins to click, all right? It begins to click for Peter. He's able to say, okay, now I know that God doesn't show favoritism, that God is calling people from all the nations. And Peter launches into this beautiful sermon about how in Jesus, God is doing something new and it looks like reconciliation. It looks like resurrection, kingdom, new life, new creation, breaking into the now. He says in verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter's just picking up steam when the spirit of God bursts onto the scene. And this is verses 44 to 46 says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. What's amazing about this, this is another moment of Pentecost. It's a new Pentecost, but this time, the believers, the chosen ones, God's chosen family, are the ones who are going to hear, who are going to be preached to. The Spirit comes to the Gentiles, to those others, to the nations, and begins speaking. The Spirit speaks through the Gentiles to those who are gathered, including those Jews who had traveled with Peter. So of course, you know, uh, Peter says, who can stop them from being baptized? That, this, that's the moment now. And in the name of Jesus, they receive forgiveness. They have the spirit as a seal. They become part of new creation through water and spirit. But do you see how significant this moment is? Those who were always part of the story, the most devout, those who were following Jesus already, they needed God to reach. They needed God to reach through the place they least expected it, reach them. So they asked Peter to stay a few days. This is the most improbable ending. Later, Peter will be criticized for the people he stayed with and ate with, um, whose hospitality he received. The, the table that he shared with them. And really, most of the rest of the New Testament will deal with the fallout from this, the conflicts between uh, Jews and Gentiles and what it looks like when you open up this family. But in these last words, there's a breaking in the fabric of space and time before the conflicts that will come eventually adjoining. Shared life. That's the Spirit's work. 
God may just be reaching you through your diverse neighbor. If this is still God's world and the spirit of God is still at work, then God is calling you to join yourself with others, to enter into their language and life, to be one with them, to start loving the people that are outside yourself. That same student that I mentioned that had made the connection in the, um, in the city square in Cusco with music, that same student was brought to tears on an island in the middle of a lake, 13,000 feet above sea level, as a Quechua-speaking man prayed for our little group in his home. God reaches in the most unexpected way. That same uh, student was amazed that God would speak to him in that way. I'd like to share just a final story about something going on in Arequipa, ways that we've been um, sort of blown away or surprised sort of our least expected path and how it is that God is working through that. Um, so we have this, this nonprofit and um, doing work in the libraries. And years ago, we had a microloans program, but that had stopped. And we met this uh, person called Kata. She's the cousin of a neighbor who's connected to this community that we didn't even know existed. And we met her over, Thanksgiving, uh, over Christmas break, um, 2019, and then in 2020, um, this community, which is one of, in Arequipa, a very marginalized, abused group. It includes sexual minorities, former and current prostitutes. It's the underside of Peru's population, much maligned and abused, and often not seen as fellow humans. These are the most vulnerable found ourselves in a space that through Kata, we were being called to bless and to minister, to join in that life, to try to see God's image in one who is not our image. And so God reached to Patty. Patty is a member of our church, uh, works with our nonprofit. She grew up as a very proper and conservative Catholic, and then she continued as she transitioned and, and was baptized as an adult and as part of our house church uh, into a very a conservative and proper um, Christian, uh, Protestant Christian, and all of a sudden she is called upon to minister to the most unlikely people, people she would have never thought she would be in relationship with. But it was her path of discipleship, her nearness to Jesus that prepared her to follow the Spirit's lead into the lives of these women for the sake of the mission of God, for the sake of love. It's messy, it's uncomfortable, it's slow, really slow and really hard work. So I do ask that you would pray for Patty, and Kata, and Deborah, and Katie, as they minister together to this group. And then I ask you to be ready, because the God that is reaching to us, and the God that we're reaching out to blows expectations out of the water, shatters our notions of what's decent in the name of the vision of God, and for the sake of love. Will we grow to see as God sees? Will we be able to see along with God? In Acts 1.8, it said, you will be 
my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And Peter learned what we are learning right now. The ends of the earth all around us. It might be next door, it might be at the store, it might be getting off of 631 exit earlier than you normally would. Will we see it? Will we notice God reaching to us through it? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.